Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, Crack fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we return to our roots as we bring back one of the original Cracked Interviews podcast guests. Of course, when we last spoke to this player, he was fresh off a standout collegiate career where he achieved All-American status at The Ohio State University. Of course, he was a standout junior as well, a former Kalamazoo Boys 18 singles finalist, of course. Now he's a standout ATP player as this man made his top 100 debut and reached his first tour-level final during the course of the 2022 season. Of course, I'm referring to J.J. Wolf, who joins us on today's show to discuss making that top 75 breakthrough. What has he improved upon in his game that has allowed him to get to this point? What have the past two and a half years been like for J.J.? Those who know his story knows there are uh, no, excuse me, there have been multiple injuries for the young American to slow Slow things down early in his career, and thus it was so exciting, even beyond the results, to just see him play a full calendar of events here in 2022, and also makes it exceptional to have the opportunity to speak with JJ today about all the developments that have happened, his hopes moving forward as well. It's a fantastic conversation. We know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, shout out to our dear friends at Swing Vision for their support in making this podcast happen. Remember, use the promo code CRACK20 and sign up by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. With that said, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Top 100 American, J.J. Wolf. Hey, Cracked fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code Crack 20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information, one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Thank you. 
Joining us on the podcast once again today is a man who, if you'll allow me, I may deem one of our original guests here at Crack Rackets. It's been so fun for us to monitor his career, particularly in 2022, which is a year of first for this guest. He reached a career high of number 56 in October, reached his first ATP final. Welcome back to the show, our dear friend, JJ Wolf. JJ, welcome. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. It is a pleasure to have you back on the show, and it's been a while since we've chatted. Obviously, a lot of different things have gone down, and I want to try and touch on all of them here today. But first and foremost, the thing that stuck out to me is looking at your 2022 season. You played 72 matches this year. That's the biggest number of your career. And just knowing what you've been through the past two and a half years, how nice was it for you to just be able to focus on the tennis and play a full schedule here this season? Yeah, I mean, it was it was my biggest goal of the year was to play a full year. I almost got there. I uh, got hurt in that last match in Austria this year. Had to pull out of Paris. Uh, but just playing a full year for me is so important. I think maybe the most I'd played in the past was like, I don't know, 10 or 14 in a year. So it's just it's hard to crack that top 100 without getting a full 18 at least in. Yeah, no, it was so impressive again to see you just week in, week out, whether it was at the challenger level, whether it was going to play qualifying for ATP events. And again, this question may sound weird to some of our listeners, but I like to think we know each other well enough for me to ask this. Looking at you this season, you know, you've always been a strong guy. I've always said legs down, JJ Wolf, tank. Um, but it does feel like you went from maybe meatball form to leaning out a little bit this year, if you'll allow me to say. Like, it felt like you were playing maybe five to 10 pounds lighter than you were maybe a couple of years ago. And I'm curious, A, if there's any truth to that observation. And if so, was that something you deemed maybe you had to do? Yeah, you know, uh, during quarantine back in 2020, I really packed it on. I was lifting a ton. And tennis players don't get, you know, six, seven, eight months in the gym, usually because we're traveling so much. So uh, I think I went a little overboard with that. I cut before the U.S. Open maybe 10 pounds, and I was still probably playing at 185 that year. Um, and this year I was playing close to around 172, 178. Wow. Uh, so I cleaned out uh, a good amount. But it's hard because I like feeling strong when I'm playing, but there's a there's a happy medium with that. So uh it might have been harder to tell. I wore some baggier clothes back in 2020, but yeah, I was I was a monster boy then. Yeah, us real scholars of JJ Wolf could tell. Um, no, it's it's it. Yeah. By the way, I say meatball affectionately. I wasn't calling you fat by any stretch of the imagination, but you definitely. I, I like how you said it. Packed it on, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because watching you play. Everyone knows, you know, you've got weapons, the serve, the forehand. You want to be inside the baseline imposing your will. You're not 6'6", though, like some of these other guys. And so I am curious, again, 185 to 172, I didn't, it didn't seem to me like you were hitting the ball any with any less pace. If anything, I felt like you were playing a little bit bigger this year. And I'm curious if that comes from the trade-off from speed versus strength. Yeah, I think it's a give and take. Uh, definitely a couple years ago, I could, you know, pump up a 138 serve with not too much trouble, but now I got to strain a little bit to do it. So it's just kind of 
making sure I don't lose that half step. If you've got a little too much muscle on you, maybe, which stinks because I like walking around when I'm not playing, you know, looking a little bit stronger. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm still figuring out what the perfect kind of size for me is. But yeah, I definitely feel like I've got enough firepower even at, at this weight right now. Yeah, I promise that's all the talk we're going to do about your weight here today. Uh, that, that's it. Well, the opening four minutes is all. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I mean, again, looking for you here this season, it was a year that started out at the challenger level. And, you know, obviously you go down to Australia uh, knowing that you're going to play qualies there, but play a couple of challenger events there. Come play the Ohio Swing when did you decide, you know, that going to play maybe some more ATP qualies like you did Acapulco, Indian Wells, Miami? Why was that the decision you made scheduling wise? Yeah, I did a lot of consulting with my coaches and my team. You know, David Cass helps me greatly with my schedule. And we just kind of got to talking in the spring. And after I think it was Del Rey, I made a little bit of a mental switch and it was just like, you know, I play well on the bigger stages, like obviously playing at Ohio State. We had packed matches 95% of the time. It just kind of feed off the energy of that. Uh, so when, you know, it's easier to get points in challengers, I feel like. And the points are great in challengers. That's the hard part. You know, the money's not there, but the, the points are awesome. Uh, but I got to a point where I'm like, you know, tennis careers are more than just points. Let's see if, you know, you can do it the – the hard way kind of and I wanted to go play some bigger tournaments so went down to Acapulco with kind of a different mentality and that started to play some good ball there from uh, Acapulco, Indian Wells, Miami kind of tournaments like that uh, started coming back into how I felt like I was playing in 2020 a little uh, after the surgeries it took me a while to kind of you know find that game again it's hard because the guys are so good but yeah I just you know I really like that that bigger stage feel and uh, kind of went with it. And I went back to challengers for like two months after that, which was tough. And, you know, for me, challenger wise, I think it was maybe the first year since I've been, even since before I was pro, I haven't won one, uh, which is, you know, different, but I had a lot of other different milestones uh, that I kind of enjoyed more. Yeah. You know how I like to say I'm a scholar of J.J. Wolf? You did win one, Numea 2020, as a pro, start of January. Yeah. I remember that one. So don't sell yourself short, my friend. Um, yeah, but I get the the broader sentiment. This year was the first year I didn't won one. Oh, this year, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're correct. Um, proven me wrong. You know you better than I do. Um, but, you know, uh, on that note, and I want to get back to the injuries because you did mention them, but we'll just talk about them a little bit later. In your career at the pro level, 13 matches on clay, 12 of them came this year in Tallahassee, in Savannah, in Sarasota. J.J. Wolf on clay. What was that experience like? Yeah, I haven't really played on it since yeah. juniors much. And, it wasn't really a strategic thing. I just, I feel like, you know, it's the college season and when you can stay in the U.S. and play, I feel like a lot of us do. So I wasn't, uh, you know, going over to play clay in Europe or anything like that before, but I enjoy playing on it. Probably not as comfortable on it as a lot of the guys, but I think I adapt pretty quickly. Had some, at one good match in, I think it was Houston this year on uh, the clay there, but dude, I'm pumped to get back to the French. I like that clay over there but uh 
yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the clay season this year. Yeah. Uh, so how did you feel like, I mean, you obviously make semifinals Savannah, quarterfinals Tallahassee, Sarasota, good wins over guys like Kova, Galarno, Kubler during that stretch. What did you learn about your game during that time? It was just bigger spots and a little more patience, you know, on hardcore, sometimes you can lose yourself. And even if I'm 10 feet behind the baseline, I might send it, you know, a hundred miles an hour when I probably shouldn't and get away with it. And I play, you know, a little more air under the ball, balls bouncing higher, not going through the court as much, but yeah, I think a lot of it's movement mm-hmm. just kind of, and coming back from those surgeries, the being stretched, like you remember, I'm sure being a scholar as you are, I used to <laughs> all the time and I think I was a little tentative with that this year just because of the surgeries and whatnot and uh, I'm starting to kind of lose that fear and go back into more of the the athletic movement so I'm, I'm excited for the clay season so that's the perfect entryway for us to get into the injuries and so many different things added up over the course of that stretch and I don't even want to like start speculating about all of them because I know there was an appendix issue at one point as well right the appendix got thrown into this so run us through what has the past two and a half years looked like yeah so it's it's a little complicated uh after when I went over to Europe after the open, I was having pain basically from the start when I started out in St. Petersburg and they thought it was like so as something like that and played a little bit. And I finally had to pull out. I think it was in Italy and I came home. They told me I had uh, two hernias, went in to get surgery on that, rehabbed it for four months and uh, maybe it's three months. And then I went back to hitting and it didn't feel any better after the surgeries. So I I didn't know what was going on, went to a, a different surgeon in Philadelphia, and he was like, you didn't have those. You have two 10-millimeter tears in your, I think it was pelvic bone or pelvic plate on each side. Uh, so we went and repaired that, and there were some some mess-ups in the surgery where they attached the mesh to a muscle that he had to kind of undo as well. So that was a lot of trauma to the, the same area, two surgeries right in there. Uh, so it was supposed to be, I think, like a four-month thing and it turned into whatever seven eight months uh during that during that time period yeah no and you talked about the athletic movements now you know i again i feel like since you were probably 12 years old the serve the forehand you could do in your sleep like i we've all seen go watch the Kalamazoo final between you and Kipson, which you can find the YouTube highlights for. And I'm not saying your forehand's not better, but I'm just saying, like, it's not that different relative to the level of competition at the time. That's always been the moneymaker, and I'm sure that felt pretty good pretty quickly coming back to the court. But it's interesting to hear you talk about athletic movements because looking at your results when you did come back last year, Columbus semifinals, Vegas challenger title, Charlottesville and Champagne semifinals, the results were there, but I'm curious, you know, was it this season that you felt like you finally got your level back from a fitness standpoint and getting back to those athletic movements? Yeah, just I think mental comes into it a lot sure. too. If I did pretty well in some of those tournaments, I wasn't feeling well on court. Uh, I was scraping through some matches, and obviously a lot of good players play those challenges at the end of the year, so it was tough competition, but I really kind of wasn't in my zone. Um, and it, it takes a while to get into that. Anyone who's played tennis kind of knows that you step away from the game for a little bit and it's it's mental getting back. Uh, but I worked on that a lot. And the, the thing with my forehand, my stroke, even if I don't play for a year, will be the same. 
but being able to take the ball early or, you know, do different things with it is where it gets a little harder. And I feel like that's what can separate certain people is how you, you move into the ball and kind of take away time from people. Yeah, no, that's what made, just getting back to 2021, because we haven't had the chance to talk about it. You played Stefan Kozlov, what, like four times or something crazy? It was was so fun. Yeah, exactly. What was so fun was the contrast of just like how different each of you approached the game, and it made for such fun tennis. I'm sure, by the way, that win in San Diego over him, was that your favorite win of the season, quietly? I don't think it was my favorite. It was definitely (laughs) on match. So he played he played some good ball that match too and uh you know it, it's always fun when we play like you said the contrast and he's such a tough competitor so it's always going to be a battle when you play and i think he was up in the second yeah. on me for there uh but yeah you know that can go either way every time mm-hmm. no no doubt about that and you know for you this season you mentioned it you go from indian wells to playing some challengers and you know your rankings floating around 100 i'm sure you had the choice go play challengers and the usta summer circuit or go to a dc or you know us open those sorts of events and you choose to go the atp route obviously i'm sure it helped to have some wild cards particularly into washington but you know, that Washington run, and you mentioned earlier that idea of gripping and ripping like you like to do. I think back to that Shapovalov match and like, oh boy, was there some gripping and ripping in that one. And I'm curious if in that moment, because obviously good win over Daniel in round one, but you beat Dennis, top 25 player. Is that the moment when you allow yourself to finally mentally sort of relax and say, you know what, maybe I am back? Yeah, you know, I think I think about it a little differently than most people. I think about it more internally, I feel like. Like, I'll try not to think about who I'm playing as much. And I've got to go back and watch the full match to kind of understand what happened. I feel like I'm so caught up in each point that I'm not really fully, you know, grasping, like, maybe the ebbs and flows of the match, which I'm trying to work on. But, yeah, that that was a massive match for me, just going back and, kind of the tennis intelligence that I, I thought I, I proved to myself that match was was impressive to me. And I think it gave me confidence for that next match against Holger. And uh, obviously tough uh, playing two matches in one day after that. But uh, yeah, that, that tournament's so much fun. You know, I love the tourneys in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I also, I don't know if you saw this, had a bunch of my high school friends there. So that's what I was going to ask you. Follow up. Who won the match against Holger, you or the crowd? Yeah, it was definitely a combo effort. I mean, <laughs> much fun. I was, I've been friends with those guys since I was like 18 months old. So it just, they happened to be there. One of my friends drove, the other two happened to be there. And it was like, it was awesome. Yeah, so talk to me about that environment because you are someone who's always done a good job of engaging the crowd. Dating, and I always say this is the college roots, is you got to learn how to do it in college. And you certainly learned how to do it. But, and I mean, it helps, I'm sure, to be in the States. But always at Cincinnati, I think at the U.S. Open as well, these Washington crowds, these, I mean, it helps to have a mullet. It helps to rock the stash. But I do, do you feel additional support from, like, I feel like the American crowd gets passionate for you in a way they maybe don't for other American tennis players. And I'm curious if you feel that. Oh, I definitely feel it. You know, when people are into the match, you know. Yeah. Like, sometimes you're hitting a good shot and you're kind of waiting and people are giving the little claps and then there's other times. People are standing up and waving towels and screaming. And that that's when it, you know, feels like I feel like that's how tennis should be. 
<laughs> it's like it should be fun for everyone. When you are playing a match, would you rather have an unengaged crowd or a raucous crowd against you? Raucous crowd against me for sure. Yeah, because you feel the energy, right? You build off of it. That I mean, it means people are into it. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't matter to me if they're going against me or not, as long as they're just passionate about it. I think that's what makes it fun. It I, that DC crowd was exceptional. Like, and I honestly thought they might power you through Rublev as well. I was like, man, like if like if he has anything left, and the problem was, what was the match versus Holger? It was like three and a half or two and a half hours, something crazy like that. Yeah, I think closer to three and a half, and it was like. 102 yeah that was it was literally and you were in one of the iron domes right where you're next to the bleachers and that heat is just like pressing down on you you can't look side to side you have to look straight (laughs) or you can't see (laughs) and the sun's coming right off there there's no shade there's nowhere to hide I say that court, and then I call it the Iron Dome, the Cincinnati court. That's actually the two bleachers left and right. If you play on that Iron Dome in Cincinnati between noon and 6 p.m., just like six wall, like just you're gonna lose weight. So like, be ready. It's it's a it's a not what's the ice? It's a Graders night. It's a Graders night if you play in the Iron Dome. Oh yeah, that's tennis hot yoga. Yeah, <laughs> vinyasa uh, at the Masters level. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean. So through that Washington run, and I mean, you've always known this, I'm sure, to some sense, but first quarterfinal in D.C., you know, what clicked? Like, or it's not even did something click. What did you learn about your game during this run? Like, what do you, are there things you feel more confident about now than maybe you didn't before the season? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Holger match, that one, I think, was a big, it kind of brought me back to remembering kind of how I played in college a little bit because I don't think either of us played well. It wasn't the prettiest match to watch. It was a lot of guts and there was a lot of breaks, not as bold, especially in that third set. Uh, Yeah. After the first set, we were breaking each other like crazy. And that's unnerving to someone on the ATP tour where you're supposed to be holding, you know, at least, at least 82% of the time. 82.5 82.5 was the top 50 average this year. So, yes. Yeah. Yes, but, I mean, it's it it takes a lot of mental aptitude there to be able to get through that. And, um, I you know, it feels like a, like a team sport over there when I was doing that. You know, I'd get down for a second and be like, what are you doing? This is fun. Even if you lose it, like, you just got to fight. Mm-hmm. No, and, you know, it's funny to hear you mention the breaks of serve as well because looking through the stats from this year, and I think when people watch you play, by the way, why does the American crowd love you, not just the mullet, not just the mustache? You're gunslinger. Like, you're going to go big. You're going to provide some pop. They are going to be entertained. And, again, I guess we'll get back to the body. The quads help too. I think people are like, How, what is this? Like, what am I watching here? Um, but the statistical thing that stood out to me was looking at the break percentage this year. You broke 23.2% of the time. And for what it's worth, the average top 50 player breaks 22.9% of the time. So it's not as though you were elite of the elite. But if with your serve combined with even average returning, that's obviously the rubric of a top 50 player. And I'm curious because watching you play, you love to go for that big forehand, as we alluded to. This is where we come full circle, the gunslinging mentality that said, and especially like a, the Emer match in Florence, I think is the best example of this, where you were kind of like, you know what, I'm going to go 75% on this return and I'm just going to freaking make it. And like, 
you know, again, I'm not going to use, if I make the return, I'm going to get a forehand. And like, I feel like that was, is that a fair assessment that that might've been a tactical change? Yeah, for sure. And I I think it kind of came from like growing up, you know, you watch the highlights of Federer and Djokovic and see them hitting these crazy big returns. But if you watch the full matches, they're making every single one. Yeah. Like the best guys, they're making it and getting into the point. They're fighting to get into the point. And I think that's kind of one of the things I've changed this year and kind of realized these guys' serves are so good. You're not, I'm not going to be hitting like, you know, in the past couple of years, I could have like a return winner every game. Like it's not, it's not indoor tennis all the time like that, especially in Europe. Those indoor courts aren't fast. Mm-hmm. Like no, the but- plat picked up and, you know, you got to get yourself into the point and give yourself a shot. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I think you've always done it on the backhand. I actually think it was the forehand return. Like, is that fair? I like. I think sometimes that's the one that misses more. Yeah, like historically, it definitely has been. Mm-hmm. Again, There's things going on. I'm like, I could hit it inside out one. What am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself so? You talk about the game maturing. Uh, and again, this is very nerdy, but are you making so thinking like thinking is death in tennis, right? When you're thinking, you're overthinking. Is that the is so uh, is it about on the return of serve? Because watching men's tennis, sometimes as a casual fan, you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know how any of these guys win. They're all ridiculous. How much on that return of serve is just making a choice and sticking with it? Yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. I think for me, I had to stop being stubborn. Like sometimes I would, you know, be standing right in the baseline returning and a guy is serving really well. It's it's hard to get into the point. And then I'd scoop back once and miss a return and be like, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm going back up. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, I'm going to back up even if I'm uncomfortable with it and, you know, get the ball back any way I can. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's all kind of mental in that aspect of just kind of committing to something to get yourself better instead of trying to get an immediate result right away. Mm-hmm. You talk about the six feet behind the baseline. You like to be inside the baseline taking that ball early. At the same time, I do feel like you were willing to play six feet back, maybe a little bit more. Particularly, I think about like, so I was on the call at Tennis Channel for the Florence run. And so like I got you, I called the Cressy and Bublik matches back to back. And I remember being like, can you imagine, I, I think I even said this in the broadcast, can you imagine being J.J. Wolf and back-to-back days at the office, you have Cressy and Bublik, and you're just like, man, f*** me. Like, I'm going to have no fun today. Just like, this rhythm is going to be miserable. And yet, at the same time, you were six feet behind the baseline. And I'm curious if that's something you're going to be more willing to do moving forward. Yeah, definitely. If I look back to certain matches where I kind of got some belief in that, I think it would be both of the RBA matches. Yes. Where it's, you know, I learned a lot about myself. My favorite match of the year is the one I lost against uh, RBA and Indian Wells. Mm -hmm. I think two match points in that third set, battle back from, I think, 3-1 down, a set set and a breakdown, or maybe a set and two breaks down to get it to that third set. And, you know, he was veteran me there he was you know able to get it done I got a little tight but I was still proud of how I played in that match and I was willing to hit you know 8 10 15 groundies just for one point whereas in the past I might not have had the confidence to be like oh you're playing someone who will never miss like just try to make a miss right away instead of trying to wear someone down a little bit Mm -hmm. and you know obviously you go on to play them at the U.S. Open 
the four forward four match, Nick McCarvel called that match for you, and I was talking about it with him recently. And he goes, it was one of the best beatdowns I've seen. And watching it, it really, like, you weren't broken. You fought off all four break points. If memory serves me correct, I don't think you faced a break point in either sets one or two. And, like, you know, 87% of the first serves won. Is that the best you've played? Like, what clicked on that day? Yeah, I, I just kind of tried to commit to the game plan. And I was saying, you know, this guy's an unbelievable player. Who cares if you win this match? Just try to play it right. And it, I think it was one of my better focus matches where I, I didn't, you know, sometimes I'll do really well and have like a game or two, a little mental blip will happen. And then against these guys, the set's over. Yeah. And I just, I really didn't have any that yeah. match. No, you use that word focus. And again, we've talked about all these different improvements you've made in your game statistically adjustment wise. How much of it just comes down to you focusing better? Yeah, you know, a lot of it. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but since I was in second grade, I was on ADD medicine. Um, and then when I started playing pro tournaments in college, uh, we submitted a form to see if I could still take it. And they denied it, which was interesting with a lot of other players taking it. But I ended up realizing that I play better without it. You know, like I, I don't like having that in my system kind of. And just kind of being able to play freer and not overthink stuff was good but it also does take away from me kind of losing focus sometimes just from you know being used to that my whole life uh kind of having that you know being diagnosed so young with that um but it's been a lot of work to try to you know make that kind of my normal like going through practices and matches and you know i if you talk to any of my coaches, it's sometimes very difficult to get me to be locked in. <laughs> I'll be, I'll want to talk to them or chat or, or thought of this funny joke or something like that. And yeah, it just comes down to staying locked in, mm-hmm. especially like some of these matches where they're not packed with a ton of fans. And, you know, I feel like when people are there and they're into the match, it's not hard for me. Yeah. I think that's the catch 22 is, as frustrating as that may be to coaches, you're just like, God, I, I do enjoy hanging out with JJ. Like, you're just a fun guy to hang. Again, I, and I think that's why fans like you too is I've had this conversation where it's like, who do you want to go get a beer with? It's like, you know, now that he's finally 21, you know, because we've been covering you a long time, it's like, oh, JJ Wolf, for sure. Like, that would be a good time. And I will say it does, I mean, again, I'm going back to age 16, but there's just a professionalism, I feel like, that you bring to the court day in, day out. And again, I want to have some fun, look at the offseason, talk about non these non-serious things as well. But uh, I'm curious for you, again, becoming a professional these past few years, what, you sort of offered some insight there. What, you know, what does that process actually look like? You know, it's a hard process to get used to. You're kind of... Uh, you've got your team around you, but it's, it's kind of all about you and you got to push yourself as well. People can't do it for you. And it's the on-court stuff. I feel like everybody's fine with, if you're a good tennis player, you know how to work hard on the court, but it's the stuff off the court that really counts. Like for me trying to stay healthy, the amount of time and effort I put into taking care of my body has gone up exponentially. And I feel like that's kind of where it's changed a little bit for me and not just taking care of the body, but taking care of the mind as well making sure I'm in a good headspace, And that's what I'm going to try to do even better with this year and kind of make sure I'm ready to play. And if I'm not, maybe 
go work on stuff. That's fascinating to hear. And, you know, again, uh, certainly I think talking to a lot of pro players, talking to older players versus players now as well, you sort of don't realize the pharmaceutical aspect that goes into recovery and that there are certain vitamins and deficiencies as a player you just have to make up the gap for. And thankfully, medically, we are now able to do that. Obviously, there was a big brouhaha over the weekend, earlier this week, whatever, about the prevalence of the TUEs, the therapeutic use exemptions, and the, to your point, the uh, medication often provided ADD, ADHD, things such as um, Adderall is the term I'm looking for there. I don't want to ask you to wade into the Adderall argument, who is or isn't using it. I'm not here to get you in trouble, but I am curious that pharmaceutical side of the sport it's a thing, right? Like you have to be doing these things to stay healthy. Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. Um, for me, it would be simple stuff like creatine to keep, you know, keep water in your body and make sure your muscles are, are recovering and growing and whatnot. With the, with the Adderall methylphenidate stuff, um, I can't speak for other players. I personally found out I hate playing with it. Okay. And for school, it was very, very essential for me to be able to, you know, be successful in the, the classroom. And I think the thing people don't realize is if someone's taking it without a prescription, it's a little different feeling than if you necessarily need it. Yeah. So I, I think uh, if these players have been prescribed this stuff and they've been shown that they need it, then like I have no problem with it, you know, just to if there's whatever, a, I don't know what the term is, chemical imbalance or something or a lack of that just makes you kind of function normally, then, you know, I want everyone to be in the same playing field. But yeah, for me, it's just something that it really doesn't help me at all. Yeah, no, it is even though beyond that, like the massages, right? Did you realize you were going to get massaged as frequently as you do now in life? Like not not to say it in a weird way, but it's just like the hamstrings or the calves, all the rolling of the pins and the suction cups that you see on like the backs of every player. You know, sometimes you think to yourself, oh, they're being, you know, it's hyperbole. You don't actually have to do it that much. Or like if you eat fast food, you're not going to die. Like. I obviously, again, I'm exaggerating here a little bit, but all that stuff's real, right? Like, I'm sure you get the suction cup. Yeah, I, I think I had it two days ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just there's so much twisting, turning, and, you know, quick movements, but also tennis is an endurance sport and a sprint sport and a stop and start sport. It's just, it's really hard on your body, especially for North Americans that played on hardcore their whole life. Mm-hmm. No, I. Yeah, it's, it's an essential part. Like my trainer, AJ, has been essential to keeping me on the court. And I, I get with him every day to, you know, work on some part of my body or make sure my core is staying strong and stuff like this. You know, like in college, it might have been like if we go to the gym, you know, I'm wanting to do curls and bench. <laughs> but now, you know, AJ, can we make sure my ankle mobility is good today? Yeah, that's that's a, that's. I'm sure that's a sentence you expected to say. Can you help me with my ankle mobility? Yeah. (laughs) Professionalism, I guess. Yeah, no, Ty Tucker's not in there doing the curls for the girls. Um, And so, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit different, I'm sure, approaching. But, you know, with all that said, again, you end the year inside the top 75. You don't have to worry about Australian Open qualifying. You will be playing that event. I'm pretty sure you'll be in the main draw of the French Open as well. But more than anything, you know – 
I was on a pod. We did an American centric pod, our top 10 Americans of the year for what it's worth. You were on my list. And one of the reasons I had to look out for you as well in 2023, I was like, you know, who's built for indoor hardcore European tennis? JJ freaking Wolf, like who doesn't have a ton of points to defend at the start of the year either. And so I'm curious as we get into, you know, the meat of this offseason, what are your goals as you look towards 2023? What are the things you are working on? Yeah, right now, uh, I actually started hitting just a couple days ago. So I haven't hit for about a month or maybe a little over a month. But this is uh, off of the injury in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, just had some, we were careful with it, had some stuff going on near the surgery areas and had to kind of take care of that cautiously. But it, the first and biggest goal for me every year, I think for the rest of my career will be staying healthy. Uh, I think I've kind of proven myself, I give myself the opportunities that the results will come. Um, and this year was big for that. And that's my main goal, but obviously to keep improving, like never get stagnant mentally or physically and you know, continuing to stay strong in the road is hard to um, plan finishing out the year. I think I played maybe like six or seven weeks in a row, which was brutal, you know, different country every week, sometimes different continent. And it, I, I kind of found out that was too much for me. Like I was taking care of my body as well as I could. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I'd come from a final in Florence, go to Stockholm, play the next day, play the day after that and play, you know, then go to the next country and play the next day. Mm-hmm. And it's like the travel is hard on your body. Um, the matches are hard on your body. You know, different courts could be, you know, three different courts in five days sometimes or 10 days or whatever it is. And uh, different balls too. I don't know if people talk about that a lot, but that's that's brutal on the, the shoulder and the wrist. Um, balls can be different weights each week, uh, different amount of fluff on there. But yeah, staying healthy, keep improving, just keep my head clear. So we did this game recently on one of our other shows, and you're one of the OGs, so I don't mind asking you this question. You get the choice. Free first-class flights for you and one other for the rest of your life, or, and this is where I'm switching it for you specifically, you get to be seated at every slam for the rest of your career. Which are you picking? Dude, the flights. (laughs) So the travel grind is that real? Dude, I could easily buy tickets to every slam with not even close to what the flights would be. <laughs> it's that, yeah. It's that real. What is this? So tell me about the grind, the hotel life. It it does wear on you? Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm like a hometown boy. I like being home. And I've tried to get used to like being on the road. But one thing I was kind of talking about with some of my friends is I'm like, if I'm feeling a little burnt, at some of these tournaments, if I could get one of them to come, you know, just for a little bit, it kind of rejuvenates me. And, you know, San Diego this year, I had one of my friends come in, you know, DC had some friends, Cincy friends, US Open, my friend surprised me for the Curious match. Um, one of them was there all week. And then three or four others flew in just for that match. And, uh, you know, it just helps feeling like a little bit of home on the road. But yeah, like sometimes I'll forget what room I'm in. I'll go to the room I'm two days ago and be trying to get into the door and someone's like, this isn't your room. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you gotta <laughs> yeah. go see what room I'm in again. 
No, I, t- I know the feeling. I was in L.A. for like six weeks doing different tennis channel stuff, and we were in the same hotel, but different times for different trips. I was in different rooms, and like one of them, I went to the wrong floor, knocked on the door, and then I was like, nope. Whoopsies! I forgot. Like it's that's it's the worst. And no, I, I can only imagine. And you also have to stay fit and stay healthy and recovering during all these times as well. Um, I mean, here's why you're wrong. Just for the record, because if you're seated at all the slams, you probably can pay for the first class out of the prize money. So like, oh, you said seated. Yeah. I yeah. Think- oh, sorry. No. Yeah. Sorry. I meant S E E D E D. Seated for sure. Oh okay. My God. That's what shocked me. I was. I could watch every slam. (laughs) You could already do that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, seated at every slam, right? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, easy. Okay, that was the correct answer. I just wanted to be clear here. Um, For my scenario, it was the free first-class flights or have Federer on the show. And I was like, oh, I mean, like, are you kidding? If we have Roger on the show, maybe someone will pay me to go somewhere to do all this stuff. And so, by the way... If we're not hometown guys. Let's have that first beer first. But I'm on standby if you need a fly out hype crowd. Like, you know, Dalton Westoff and I in the corner, we would rock mustaches for the occasion uh, if need be. Yeah. Uh, all right. With all that in mind, final few questions before I let you go. Off the court. What's life look like now for J.J. Wolf? You made a little bit of money this year, but, you know, you're a professional. You, you mentioned being a homebody. Are you still based in Ohio? And, you know, what's life looking like for you? Yeah, not much has changed for me. Just try to save it all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm actually today kind of looked like I, uh, me and my girlfriend got up. She went to hot yoga. I went to training. We're watching the World Cup game now. Talking to you, just normal life, I guess. We're gonna. I'm gonna go to Florida for uh, preseason, like the 14th to probably the you know 30th or so, and uh, get down there. But yeah, I think I'll try to do a little more training down in uh, some warmer parts of Florida here coming up. But, yeah, I still got my same team and just trying to get after it. Yeah, maybe the – We had a little, a little fun while I wasn't playing. Had some had some fun with my friends, but kept it kept it under control. Yeah, that, that's good. That's what I like to hear. Now, the first four minutes of the show calling you a meatball was for her. She gave me the orders to assess. And so, yeah, that that'll be content – <laughs> yeah he's locked in on the world cup game yeah it's fair um all right I, i've joked about this before but i asked earlier what's harder to maintain the hair or the mustache i mean they're both low maintenance i don't have a whole here so it's not that bad but i still told everyone the mullet's the easiest haircut to have in tennis you don't even have to wear a hat <laughs> it's yeah it's easy for you because you still have hair Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's the difference. You know, Ivan Lubacic isn't walking out of that door with a mullet anytime soon. Usually don't lose it in the back, though, do you? Uh, I, I hope to never have to find out, my friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll find out. Um, all right. We're bringing back the splits next year. Is that going to is that going to make the comeback for J.J. Wolf? I think so. That's what I like to hear. Well, then, my final question for you is, again, and I know we've alluded to this, but as we look towards the 2023 season, you mentioned staying healthy. You know, what does the schedule like uh, schedule look like for you? What can we fans expect? Yeah, I've been talking with my team about it. Um, I don't think anything's super set yet, but I was planning on starting with uh, Auckland and uh, Melbourne for the Australian Open and then uh, come back on our part of the soil and 
play some in North America, I believe. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. Would you give Jackson Smith and Jigba your hamstring for him to play against Georgia? Totally. You kidding me? <laughs> it's an athletic hamstring. Like it should yep. do the trick. And so we can figure Yeah, exactly. We can figure that out. I'm hoping for the Michigan Ohio State rematch, my friend, because if we get the rematch we deserve, we'll have to do a little friendly wager. Like you and Cass put something on the games, right? Dude, I feel like he's shifted towards Ohio State. You <laughs> might not admit this, but I don't I don't see him with any Michigan gear on. Yeah, that's that's because Ty burned it all a couple of years ago. And so it's just yeah, it's banned from even the ghost of the old Ty Tucker Titus Center. It's like you can't There's have no it there. Thus that's true. He he couldn't be seen that on. Exactly. He can wear it, but he'd have to X out the M. Um and so or do all that stuff. But no, JJ again it was great. It was such a pleasure. And uh, I guess I never asked because the fans will want to know. First ATP final. That was cool, right? That was super cool. It was it's a little different playing in Europe. I think they treat it like a soccer match. Like every point there were slow claps and stomps and it was they're super passionate. I love playing playing yeah. there especially. Mm-hmm. My favorite part was, again, you versus Cressy was a 2019 college tennis power ranking. It's like, who really was the guy? And I was Team JJ that season. So, I, you know, I felt vindicated. I appreciated the win. It was great to watch yep. you reach a first final. And, again, feels like more success is going to be coming. So, JJ, thank you for taking the time with, for chatting with us. Uh, obviously, be safe, be healthy, and good luck to you next year, my friend. Spot always open for you. Appreciate it, man. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with world number 66, J.J. Wolf. A massive thank you to J.J. for taking the time to chat with us. Obviously, we're all so excited to see him healthy, playing his best tennis again. Hope that continues for him moving forward. Now, some of you will notice I didn't talk about the wave of young American success. I didn't ask him if that motivates J.J. Look. All of these young Americans have seen that question, heard that question, answered that question so many different times. Now, if I think there's an opening to inject that into any conversation I'm having moving forward, I will try to do so. The reason I'm bringing up in the outro, it was a bit of an unforced error on my part. That said, uh, certainly it felt like we had enough JJ-centric topics to talk about that I wanted to focus on him here today. But again, this conversation, one of many we're hoping to have with top 100 players across the ATP and WTA tours. My goal every day this offseason provide a new Cracked Interviews episode to all of you listeners. Hopefully the majority of those players have top 100 ties. We're going to get into the college uh, coaching interview cycle soon as well. We got a lot of content coming your way, folks. And of course, if you're looking for more off-season coverage, it's Peaks and Valleys Week over on the Mini Break Podcast feed. Who peaked in 2022? Who disappointed? Those are the conversations we're having on that Mini Break Podcast feed. Of course, college tennis, top 10 countdown, rocking and rolling over on the Great Shot Podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the... 
of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Swing Vision. Remember, Swing Vision, uh, use our promo code CRACK20 and click on the link to learn more in the description to this podcast. With that said, for the fantastic JJ Wolf, our super producer Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Swing Vision from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.